Every play, every musical, begins with some writer putting words on a page. Hello, and welcome to Stagecraft, the Broadway radio podcast that talks to playwrights and musical book writers about the shows they've created. My name is Jan Simpson, and joining me this week is Eleanor Burgess, whose really thought-provoking new play, The Niceties, takes on the complex issues of how we've talk about race and class in contemporary America. It's running at Manhattan Theatre Club's Stage 2 through November 15th. Hello, Eleanor Burgess. Welcome to Broadway Radio. Hi. The way we usually start these conversations is talking a bit about what the play is about. So would you tell our listeners what The Niceties is about? So The Niceties uh, starts at uh, the office hours of a professor at a elite Northeastern college where a professor who's uh, in her 60s and white uh, and very sort of celebrated in her field is going over a paper with a student who is uh, black and 20 years old and has written a paper about the role of slavery in the American Revolution. The student and the professor sort of start with academic disagreements about sort of the niceties of of proving something um, from a time period where evidence is very difficult to find and where, you know, uh, it's hard to know really what happened and why it happened. But their conversation expands uh, gradually to sort of the much bigger topic of where does race fit in American history and where does it fit in uh, contemporary America and in contemporary academia and turns uh, into a fairly bitter fight between the two of them. And a quote-unquote incident, uh, the kind of you know incidents we've gotten used to having happen on college campuses. And then uh, an incident that sort of threatens to change both of their lives. Uh, and then in Act 2, we see them kind of struggling to figure out how to come back from that. Where'd you get the idea for this play? So the play is loosely inspired, or initially inspired, but it really doesn't match the events or the personalities involved. But um, in 2015, there was an incident at my alma mater, which is Yale, that involved, you know, a disagreement over um, regulations about Halloween costumes that spiraled into a much, much larger conversation about what experience were students of color having at, you know, that school, and but also about, you know, free speech and, and freedom of expression and academic uh, freedom. And I was fascinated by how dysfunctional the conversations surrounding this incident were. Um, And it got sort of widely written about, there were were a lot of newspaper articles about it, there was a lot of coverage, and people really picked a side and then had so much trouble believing that the person that they disagreed with was coming from anywhere valid. And that was fascinating to me, that these people who really have a lot in common, you know, they're at the same school, they're often very politically unified, um, and they're all people who would say, like, yes, racism is bad, yes, America has a problem with racism, yes, we need to fix it. So they theoretically all agree. Except when you get into the actual nitty-gritty of, well, what should we do about the problem? How bad is the problem? How, how much are we going to have to change and give up in order to fix it? They don't agree at all. And that was fascinating to me, watching these conversations sort of um, explode and become so... Uh, so unable to handle the complexity of where we're actually at as a country. Did you have any trepidation about taking on such a a hot wire topic? Because I think you're right, it's dealing with people who 
on the surface agree and I think lots of people who go to the theater would share those beliefs and yet Mm -hmm. as you get into it so did you have any trepidation (laughs) um yes and no I I I felt a great responsibility to do the story well and a, a tremendous responsibility to be as fair as I possibly could to both sides, you know, not to, uh, both of the women in the play are super, super smart. Yeah. They both want to be good people. They're both capable of being very funny people. They're both capable of being very difficult, annoying people. It was very important to me to make sure that both sides got heard. And so I felt a lot of trepidation about, you know, could I do that well enough and, and about the work of making sure that that's what happens in the play. But I'm also excited, you know, when what, what's happened, I think, in general is we've all, we've gotten scared of talking about these things with each other or we pretend to agree with each other, but we still don't actually agree, you know, like theater audiences, like we still don't actually agree. We just don't talk about the places where we don't agree. And that's not serving anyone. So theater is this wonderful place where the audience can gather and like, you're not personally under attack. The characters aren't coming for you. So you can hear what they're saying and you can hear that question about, do you need to be doing more? Are you doing enough? You know, are you getting this wrong? Are you getting uh, your activism wrong? Are you getting your defensiveness wrong? So you can sort of go on that journey that like actually in real life, we back out of these conversations or we freeze up or we stop listening or we get super sensitive and then in theater you can kind of go all the way there well i as i watched it i couldn't tell which side you the playwright was on and i think that's a that's a testament wonderful to to your writing (laughs) absolutely a testament to your writing so did you do research to 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 bolster the the sides or did you talk to people who you thought expressed those sides how did you um, find that? I use the term immersion more than research in mm-hmm. a way. Um, I didn't know I was going to write a play about this incident at Yale. I had no idea. Uh, I just knew I was obsessed with it. And for three months or so, I was reading, you know, first about what happened at Yale, but then I read every hyperlink. I read all of the things that people were pointing to to bolster their points. I read everything about what was happening on other college campuses. I just kept reading and reading and reading, and I thought I was wasting my time. I mean, I actually thought I'd gone insane. Um, and I, I did, had no idea it was going to be a play. And then f- I was arguing with myself about these things because they're hard ideas for me, too. And then finally, those arguments with myself sort of coalesced into two characters, and I realized, oh, this is a play. But so by the time I was writing, I'd really already been sort of dwelling in the voices from this movement for months. Um, I've been dwelling in the students' voices and they're, you know, they've published a lot of, you know, personal essays and op-eds. You can watch their speeches. I'd been dwelling in a lot of the professors' voices. They've published op-eds. You can watch them give speeches, you know, and it's, it's really all out there. And so I've been um, sort of marinating in all of that. Um, for a while. And then I, when I was writing, would do, you know, additional research to shore up particular parts of the play. And then also theater is wonderful because it's a collaborative medium. So you're in the room with a bunch of people who can tell you like, oh, I don't, I don't know why I say this here. Or, oh, when she says this to me, it really hits me this way. And I don't think I'd be able to respond this way, you know? So, um, 
you kind of don't have to do it alone. The research is, is interpersonal and collaborative. Some critics have, have compared the play to David Mamet's Oleana. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I wonder, was that sort of a, a model, an inspiration, or do you just reject that notion entirely? <laughs> no, I was, I was very aware of the Oleana parallels. I, I reread Oleana before I wrote the play hmm. once, and I haven't reread it since. So, so at this point, I actually like don't remember a lot of the details of Oleana, and people like write about them and like write about the parallels. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. But I have so I haven't reread it in a couple of years. But I, I reread it before I wrote the play. Um, I, I used to be a teacher, and so for me, I've always been fascinated by the drama that is education. I guess for me, and I've always been very inspired by one of the things that I like about David Mamet is that he really goes there um, with a lot of the the arguments in his plays. But for me, I guess. I just, as a former teacher, find like the least interesting thing about student-teacher relationships to be like the possibility of sex. Like that's just not, you know, I think what's uh, the drama of education to me is one person is attempting to say, I can tell you how to be what you should think. And enough, if the other person in the room sort of should listen to them and sort of should become their own person, that's like a much more to me psychologically complicated dynamic. So uh, in some ways it was very inspired by Oleana and in some ways it was like, oh, but here's like what, what I would rather tell about a student or a professor, you know. Now you already had a really complex situation, but you introduced another element and, and that was, I don't want to spoil anything, but, but there's a gay element to the play. Well, to me, a, a big point of the play is to look at where are these roadblocks happening? Why don't we understand each other? Where, where are the places that our minds go that prevent us from hearing each other? And one of the places, there's, there's the, the gay storyline, there's also a storyline about, um, for the white character, she's an immigrant um, right. or the child of immigrants. She's Polish-American. And those are places where our brains go is to, but I do know what it's like to be marginalized you know, or, but I do have a struggle, you know, the, mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to literally write about the disagreement between, you know, Jewish Americans and black Americans, mm-hmm. but that's a, you know, we've seen that agree- disagreement over and over and over again. And that's one of the roadblocks to understanding each other is frequently like, but I do know what it's like to struggle, but I, I do have a problem. And, you know, class is an element in the play too. And that's another place where people sort of go like, what do you mean white privilege? You know, I'm from a very poor family. Um, that's one of the troubles that we have is we, we try to use our bits of experience to understand what someone else is talking about. And one of the things that fascinated me was how much like experiences are completely different. And you can, and it's not like harder or easier. It's just you don't necessarily understand. And so to me, having one character have all the disadvantages and one character have all the advantages is first of all, like a less interesting conversation and less interesting characters. But also not the way that it works and that's not what like if everyone who were marginalized were 100% marginalized across every axis of marginalization and everyone who was in power was 100% safe and secure we'd have an easier time seeing the dynamic and and dealing with it as a society and the reason why we can't see it is because we see our own pain so it's very important that there be multiple different stories of pain in the play did you develop the play with the two actresses who are in it now uh, no, yes and no. Um, so they, we, uh, we took this production from Boston to New York 
So, um, and I was rewriting in Boston and rewriting in New York. So they've been, um, you know, definitely a part of shaping this sort of final version that's coming up on New York stages. But the play's had a longer road. It had two developmental productions uh, before that in West Virginia and in Portland. We had different casts for those productions who were also wonderful and also really helped to contribute to and grow the play. And it's a play that I think really benefits from having a lot of different voices involved in its development because it's it's meant to address these issues from a lot of different points of view. And the more people you have sort of in the room able to weigh in, the, the I think the richer the story got. Those are two very different communities, too. <laughs> <laughs> what Was the response different? Well, you know, here's what I'll say, and, and this is part of why it's an interesting, and you, you pointed this out with, like, who comes to theater, especially in New York. We're very used to narratives of race that look at some parts of the country and say, like, well, they have a problem with race. Um, you know, and I think since the election, that's probably increased. It's like, those are the places where they have a problem with race. And I think in a lot of the, the play is really about... Um, it's actually frequently, you know, there's a phrase in the play, the good white people. Who are the good white people? And what are, and like, are they really good? I think that one of the things that's very interesting is that the very liberal, very, very well-intentioned white people uh, who come to see theater frequently in sophisticated urban metropolitan enclaves are often also very powerful people <laughs> with very powerful jobs. And the play's about race problems in that circumstance, too. So... You know, one thing that's fun is that it's, to some degree, it hits closer to home in Boston and New York because it's about these, like, sort of fancy educational enclaves, these sort of influential and powerful thinkers. But West Virginia was a wonderful place to do the show. Portland was a wonderful place to do the show. You know, um... Did you do any talkbacks anywhere or... Or, or, or we did a couple in West Virginia. We did a number of them in Boston. Um, I think I did one in Portland, which is a night when a lot of professors came, which was amazing hmm. and terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but people really are along for the ride in every city that we've done the show. Mm-hmm. Um, we know these are important issues to talk about. And I think people come to the theater to think, which is a huge privilege when you're a playwright, that I think a lot of the people who are showing up want to run into ideas that they haven't been chewing on necessarily and want to be moved and want to be challenged. And um, so, yeah, we've had a great time doing the show in all those different places. I've read that that some members of Congress got in touch with you after a workshop production of, of the play, and I was wondering if you might tell us what those conversations were about. They were sort of, for the most part, about the play is a jumping off point, I hope, for us all to do better. The play doesn't, I don't have solutions necessarily. It's really a play about, well, where are we at and where do we all stand and why do we disagree so much um, and why are those disagreements valid? And so a lot of the conversations are about, okay, so what do we do? Like, what are some steps? How do we make this better? How do we start the process? And, you know, it's a huge honor to get that phone call. But then you're also like, oh, gosh, I'm I'm not a policymaker. Like, my goal <laughs> is to really call attention to, like, but we can't ignore these problems and we can't assume they're going away. I think there's a tendency or there has been a tendency in a lot of American culture to sort of, like, assume that things are getting better with these issues and they're not. And, you know, uh, I think that 
listening to each other and taking these problems really seriously is an important first step. So that was sort of a lot of the conversations were about, like, how do we get the community to on board to realize, like, these are real problems and we have to deal with them. Um, how do we get the community to listen to each other? In a way, this play is what I think the Brits call a, a state of the nation play. And, mm. and I always find these to be so stimulating. Um, but we don't, at least we haven't intended to do a lot of them here in the U.S. And, and I was wondering yeah. if you had any thoughts about why that is or if you see it changing. Well, that's so interesting. Twice in my life, I've lived in London for a year and for a year each time. And and those were, had a huge influence on me as a writer. And one thing that I really love about British theater is that it is unapologetically political. And that's not considered a bad thing. Like a play of ideas is not a pejorative, right? That doesn't mean it lacks emotion. Right. Um, or a political play doesn't mean it's like agitprop. That just means like yeah it's going to have all the things you expect from a good play it's going to have emotions it's going to have characters but also it's going to like get at what's going on and that was a tradition from British theater that really sort of I was very interested in and I think that to some degree there's this sort of accident of the fact that a lot of the like formative geniuses of the American theater seem to have been more interested in uh, psychological dynamics you know Tennessee Williams and Arthur Miller and Mm -hmm. Uh, Eugene O'Neill, to some degree, although they also are sort of interested in politics. I think that America is also like a more conservative country and getting right at, you know, Arthur Miller in Death of Salesman has this huge criticism of capitalism, yes. but it's not written as a criticism of capitalism. It's written as a family story about a dad and a son. And that's how we're used to processing our politics is like not getting at it all the way. And that's very interesting to me. I think it is changing. Um, I think that since the 2016 election, a lot of theater has uh, sort of been like, oh, shoot, we have to talk about politics. (laughs) To some degree, to me, in this sort of unfortunate, preachy way that isn't actually helpful. Um, And I think we can still learn a lot from sort of the European style of like, assume politics is difficult, assume it is a, you know, dramatic topic where smart people can disagree. So I think it's changing, um, but I've always thought that was a real limitation, uh, that for some reason in America we think of theater of ideas as pejorative. We think of, like, intellectual is almost a pejorative term in theater, which I think because psychological depth is fantastic, but so is intellectual depth. Well, I think this play, uh, The Niceties, has given all of us who... Um, are fortunate to see it a lot to think about a lot to to talk about and so we want to thank you for it and we also want to thank Thank you you so much and i'm happy to hear it (laughs) (laughs) also want to thank you again um, for talking to us about it thanks so much for, for having me on the show i appreciate it and thank you for joining us we hope you'll come back next time and that you'll listen to all the other Broadway Radio podcasts, which you can find on broadwayradio.com.